0: Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as about evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack. I'm the founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about tax issues, trust and estates, business succession, planning, exit planning, legal technology, law firm practice management, law firm leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal.
2: And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. You don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time convenient for you. So please go to InteractiveLegal.com and click on Request a Demo.
0: Wealth Planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.
1: On today's episode, my guest is Carol Shiro Greenwald. Carol owns Marketing Partners and is a coach, strategist, and marketing consultant. Carol is a frequent author and speaker and has published books, including Strategic Networking for Introverts, Extroverts, and Everyone in Between, as well as Build Your Practice the Logical Way, Maximize Your Client Relationships. Carol joined me on a previous episode to talk about strategic networking. I asked Carol back today to talk about maximizing client relationships by creating the client-centric law firm. Welcome back, Carol.
2: Thanks. I love the first one, so I'm looking forward to the second one.
1: Well, You speak to the concept of focusing on clients to build your firm. What does that mean generally, and what does it look like when that isn't the focus?
2: That's easy. The second part is the easy part because 99% of all law firms are focused on the lawyers who work in them, not on the clients who use them which doesn't make any sense to me because how do you make money? By clients. How do you enjoy what you're doing? By working with good clients. So why don't we turn it around? I mean, imagine if a department store was only open from nine to five. We would not think that we wanted to shop in that department store. Imagine in the 21st century if a department store didn't have a website and it wasn't seamless between the two of them. So I saw that dress in the window as I walked to work and I went right online and I wanted to buy it. Suppose you couldn't do that. Well, law firms are like that all the time. Law firms are built around the lawyers, the time that they wanna work, the time that they wanna open. If I had a penny for every B2C business to consumer practice that doesn't have Saturday hours or one evening a week, or one eight o'clock in the morning a week, I would never have to work again. I'd be Warren Buffett, even though I live in New York and not Omaha. So it just doesn't make sense to me. And it's even more important today because today it's all been flipped. It's not about us getting business. It's about clients choosing us. Clients are in the catbird seat. And we need to create an environment and an experience that they want. And that's what client-centric means.
1: So the focus should be what the clients want versus what we want to sell. Yeah. And simply that's put.
2: What, what they want to buy. Because nobody wants to be sold to, but everybody wants to, sit to the sell, to shop. So if
1: I like to draft a certain type of dynasty trust, it's not that size doesn't fit every client. It's really about, does this make sense for them, right? Is this what they yeah, really and want? And some
2: of them won't understand what a dynasty is.
1: Well, then it's my job to figure out their objectives, talk to them about what they really want, and then educate them, if that makes sense. But the first thing is I always call it objective-based planning. What are the client's objectives and what are they looking for, even if they haven't defined it, as opposed to me just selling them like, oh, I like drafting this type of trust, right? Right, So it's really finding out who they are, asking them questions about who they are, what they're looking for, what their objectives, what their goals are, and spending that time investment I find is Huge. You talk about using value to create loyalty. What does that mean?
2: So loyalty is a byproduct of value. And um, I've seen the question. So I know that we're going to talk about value itself in a few minutes. So let's just focus on loyalty. What you really want is loyal clients. Everybody talks about client satisfaction. Client satisfaction is like saying on a scale of one to five, I'll pick three and a half. It's, you know, it's okay. It's fine. It's good. Did you like the restaurant? Yeah, it was fine. That's satisfaction. Loyalty is, I've been to Quality Bistro 15 times in the last six months. I love it. If you haven't tried it, you're crazy. So if Quality Bistro ups their fees, if they don't have my favorite dessert anymore, I'll tolerate it. If I'm just satisfied and they don't have the dessert I went in for, I'll never go again and I'll complain. So it's important. You want loyal because loyalty contains an emotional component. I've decided I like you or I love you or I really want to be part of your world. And so that emotional component is part what I'm going to you for, which is what a satisfied client has. It's part my expectations and how you manage them, but it's also part my desires, what it is I really want. What is my body language telling the lawyer that I really want, despite what's coming out of my mouth. So it's easier, it's more enjoyable to work with loyal clients because you have a strong relationship with them. They're more willing to have you cross sell to them so that you can add other practice areas that your firm has when they're relevant. They're much more willing to tolerate fee raises because they already believe that you provide the best results and they're umpteen times more likely to recommend you.
1: So can you elaborate on the concept of value?
2: Yeah. So value is that dirty little thing called I'm going to decide because I'm the client, whether what I paid in time, money, and aggravation was worth it. I'm the one who decides so lawyers go nuts because they want to be the ones that decide. And I've had clients, lawyer clients who say to me, what do you mean? I provide value. I said, not if the client doesn't say so. If the client doesn't think that you're listening to them, that you're respecting them, that you're valuing their participation in this joint endeavor, that you're not providing them with value. Value builds up over time so that you begin with the first activity and it works. And so you come back to them with another legal problem and it works. And then you're introduced to Mary's partner and you work with them and you like them too. You'd rather work with Mary, but it's not her practice area. Okay, and the value builds over time. So if you create a client-centric firm and every touch point, every time from that intake interview to the follow-up phone call three months after um, a matter has ended, if every single one that touches the client makes the client feel valued, um, appreciated, liked, um, understood, then you're going to have very high value. It's the perception they have from the cumulative working relationship that you build.
1: So you've really developed a lot of expertise in communication techniques. Can we talk about those?
2: Sure, because uh, client-centric is all about communication. How are you talking about what you do and, and how you do it? And how are you setting the expectations that's going to make it a good experience for the client? You know, saying I'm a lawyer doesn't tell a human anything. They may have no idea what's going on, they, they may believe that the television version of a law firm is true and that really it's all about pretty clothes and, and terrific one-liners in court and all those other good things. Uh, so one of the first things a lawyer has to do is educate. Educate does not mean talking down because you are a professional and we're humans because the human knows more about the problem that they brought to you. Than you will ever know, because they know all about it from the little seeds that were planted 10 years ago to the fight that we're having today. So they may not tell you all of that. If you're not smart enough to ask them when it all began, they're not gonna tell you. If you don't respect the fact that, although they're not lawyers and they don't know the implementation process, then they're not gonna they're not gonna like you. So basically communication is education, plus empathy, plus chemistry, plus respect, and those things lead to trust. So it's laying out how you're gonna work together and then following it, and everything communicates. From a messy desk to a product that's sent out without an explanation. I say don't send any legal document out alone no naked documents. Always tell the client what you're sending, where it fits, why it's relevant, and how you got there. Because they never remember. They might, you know, you don't know how they're gonna read it, what they're gonna remember. So you wanna tell them every single time. And you know, Mary, how many people just send out a document, right? So here's this to read. Remember we talked about it two weeks ago? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, that's not good communication.
1: And my approach and requirement, my firm, is actually that you create a summary of any legal document. <clears throat> the fact no. is that there really is legalese in client documents that is there because there's some court case. Um, but so there's, you're exactly right that there's that document you send out. They don't remember the conversation. And so I require, like, a, hey, you have, have a two-page summary of what's included in this document and the relative discussion points so that you're not asking the client to read the five pages of trustee powers that there's only going to be three of those that we really need to discuss.
2: And the other, and you're th- going to say to them why you want them to take action, right? So I was like kind of lay it
1: out to one, you know, here's the recommendation. Here's the alternates. Here's the things you should really consider and why. And then... I also, when I send out my summary, I lay out, this is what I heard in our meeting about what matters to you. And so if I didn't hear that right, please correct these because my recommendations are based on that. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors.
0: If you had a dollar for every financial advisor that just wanted your money, your financial future would already be secure. At Foster Group, our team is different. One whose focus is on you and your dreams. Together, we'll create a strategy that helps you get there. Wherever there is for you. Foster Group. Your financial life. Truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com.
1: Okay. Let's continue our episode. So let's talk a little further about the client-centric practice overall. How would you describe that?
2: So basically in a client-centric firm, all of the resources are aligned around the client's needs and focused on building these profitable mutual relationships. So it begins by seeing your practice from the client's point of view. So the first thing is, What's my niche, my practice niche? What kinds of people are they that are coming? And so how do I have to set up the office? What's it going to look like? Um, What are my hours going to be? How am I going to communicate with them? What's the culture? Do I reward my partners and associates for being good client-centric partners? Do they get points for that? Do they get money for that? Because if they don't, they're not going to do it. Some of them are naturally good, but they're not going to work at it. So it's very important that you have standards and practices that everybody follows that involves a client to the extent that they want to be involved in the process. That the process is transparent, that they always know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how it helps them.
1: So where does somebody start? in building the client-centric practice?
2: You know, you start with yourself and who do you want to work with? What kinds of people? What kinds of clients? What kinds of problems do you want to solve? Because if you're working with clients that you don't like, solving problems you think are stupid or dull or boring or repetitive, you're not going to be the kind of lawyer that they want to work with. Because there's that 93% is body language and And vocal, you're not going to be nice to them. If I had a penny again for every lawyer whose tone of voice talks down to a human, I would be Warren Buffett. And I'd never have to work again. Because so many lawyers turn the human into a fact pattern. Oh, yeah, we've done divorces like this for 100 years. You're not the... First person who had to move to live in the same school district as that yucky spouse of yours. And they talk down to them like, well, I'm going to tell you how the funding formula works. No, 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 no. I could be a genius. I could be an accountant. I could be a financial wizard. Don't talk down to me. Talk to me person to person. I'm paying you. I'm the client. I understand my problem and my family situation. Don't talk to me like that. And I had a client once who built his practice from 100,000 to over 2 million and lost it again because he could never be nice to clients. Never. He just wasn't able to do it. So that's where you start. You analyze your best clients, and then you decide the kind of person you want to spend the most time with with whom that's what you're going to use your strategic networking for in order to get those kinds of clients and their needs, their wants and their unspoken desires become the basis of how you run your practice.
1: So how does a lawyer develop an understanding of the client's world?
2: So this is a thing that as a, um, a coach on mostly various forms of communication, whether it's with clients or with networking or with you, like your colleagues when you're the leader of the firm, is you don't know enough about the other side. So what I say is, is that you have to develop a 360 understanding of the world of your clients. So there's five areas that you're gonna look at. If it's businesses that you deal with, then the first area is firm characteristics. What's the structure? What's the geography? What's the decision-making uh, systems that they have? What's the hierarchy? How does it work? What is it? What kind of a business? Then you're going to look at their clients. What are their markets? Where are their markets? Who are their customers? What do they care about? What are they selling? And then their collaborators. Who do they work with? Who are the vendors and the suppliers that they're working with that you may want to work with as well? Because you need to know them because they're going to have an impact. So, for instance, now ESG, environmental, social, and um, governance as a, a platform for improving the role of corporations in, in um, public issues and resolving problems like client control, it, it becomes very important that you understand where your clients who are companies involved in this are on this, what they're doing, because it impacts everything that they do, and you want to be part of it. You also want to understand their competitors and, and you know, the hidden bumps in in the world in which they practice. And finally, you want to think about the legal, political, social, cultural uh, world outside that's going to impact what they ask for. So for lawyers, it's really easy to think about how does that work for corporations? Easy for all of us. But then there's individuals. Well, it works the same for them. So instead of firm characteristics, you have family characteristics. How many times have you been married? How many kids do you have? How many kids by how many fathers? How many homes do you have? Where do you live? Instead of revenue, what's your income? Where's it coming from? All the same kinds of questions about how it works, who makes decisions, it's all the same. Then instead of talking about clients and collaborators, you're gonna talk about influencers, pro and con, because there is no human being on earth who makes a decision in a vacuum. They all make a decision based on what they learned from their mothers, what their best friend told them, and how Susie, who had the world's most perfect divorce, or the best result when they had a traffic accident, or whatever did it, and how she doesn't like how your lawyer is doing it and she's telling you to go and get so-and-so because they are really better. You know, it's a lot like how people get and keep doctors, particularly surgeons, that kind of thing. You ask other people, You borrow their expectations when it doesn't fit with your expectations. It's a problem for client service. So the same thing is true for context. You need to know what's important, what isn't. As as you said earlier, what does your client really want? And if you understand them in depth, then you can ask the kinds of questions that will get you the kind of real knowledge that you need to really serve the client.
1: So let's say that you hadn't done all this strategy, but you luck out and you get an ideal client. And one day you're like, I want more clients just like this. Now we actually define our ideal client. We redefine it once a year and we talk about those things. But I would admit that I'm one of those who's been fortunate to have a group of clients that I love and I love working with. But if I'm consciously trying to decide, hey, I love working with clients X, Y, Z, and A, and I'd like to find more clients like that, which would allow me to really even more focus my expertise. How do I find them?
2: You find them by beginning by talking to your clients about where do they go? What do they belong to? What kind of information do they believe? What are they looking for in a lawyer? Why do they like working with you? And out of this, you're going to get a set of outside influences, let's say. Where they go, what they do, how they do it. And you're gonna put together something called a target persona in my world. It's just a marketing term that says, I'm gonna build an ideal construct, anything that any lawyer can do, whether they're introverts, extroverts, or ambiverts, it doesn't matter. Gonna build a construct of the ideal client. So my ideal client is a 45-year-old professional, a woman in professional services of some kind who is at the middle level of executive ranks, who has two children, is divorced, wants to stay where they're living, but wants to have an, a, a career that's advancing, um, is kind of cheap with how they spend their money unless they really want it, wants people to work with them in a, this kind of way versus that kind of way, um, goes to hockey games for fun, um has a house in the country that they use on weekends, is worried about her third child because she thinks that COVID has had a bad impact on them. These kinds of things. You're going to think about all that. That's going to be your ideal. And then you're going to go where they go and become part of their world. So you're going to be doing that. And then because you want to make money from it. You're going to look at the 80-20, the 20% of your clients, and usually in a law firm, it's more like 10 to 15% that provide 80% of the income. And you're going to see where those similarities are and what you like about working with them. And you're going to build that target persona that includes those kinds of things. And then because you've worked with them for 5, 10, whatever number of years it is, you already know how to talk about them so that you begin by talking about what they care about by being in their world, and then it's easy.
1: So let's say you've built a client-centric law firm and you have some lawyers and you're trying to help them to get the ideal clients. What can a law firm do?
2: Well, first of all, you can work through your practice um, groups so that the leader of the group helps people to figure out this 80-20 and this, my ideal client. And then if every partner has an ideal client, then one of the things you can do is, what is, um, most law firms never do, is sit down in the practice group and share your ideal client personas, what they are so that you can see where there's overlaps and in relationships internally that you can use for developing business and, and helping each other. And then you also wanna think about other um, aspects of your firm practice areas that they can use as well So the firm can help a lot. The firm can also help a lot by creating a culture that encourages client centricity because they can set up activities, events, whatever, that try and make a level playing field between the client and the lawyer so that the client feels like an involved part of the decisions that are going to result in winning or losing whatever it is that they want
1: so law firm really wants to be client-centric and we've talked about a lot of the different concepts that apply both at the lawyer level firm level and bringing others along if we kind of synergize this into here's some key steps that you need to take to be a client-centric law firm what would those be
2: first thing is you need a client-centric leader the head of the law firm, the person who's setting the culture in the everyday activities that they accept or don't accept, that they push or don't push, has to want to do client centricity because client centricity is little tiny things. So for instance, when you're doing your intake and the client says, okay, we want to get started, you talk to them about what's going to be in um, your engagement letter. You try to minimize the legalese of an engagement letter You talk to them about what they're reading, what they're signing, and the consequences of it right away. And one of the things you can do to level the playing field right away and say, I respect you, is say, how do you want to be contacted? Do you want us to call you on your mobile, on your home phone, on your office phone? Now, depending on the kind of thing it is, they may not want the office involved at all, right? Because it's a personal matter. They don't want the office involved or vice versa. They don't want home involved. Then you ask them when they would like to be called. Well, I don't take personal calls between nine and five. So could you please call me between seven and nine? Okay, do you wanna be called on the weekend? What level of decision do you want to know about ahead of time and to be involved in? By doing all this, you're saying to them, I value your time like I want you to value mine. And it gives you a chance then to say to them, so, This is how we're set up here, this is what we do. So you and I have a colleague in the ABA active section who deals with um, individual consumers. And what he says is that any call that comes in before noon will be answered by the lawyer or someone who works for that lawyer and knows you by the end of the day. Anybody who calls in between noon and the end of the day We'll be guaranteed a call at the latest by noon on the following day. Okay, that helps a client. Because what happens is is if I don't know, that's the rule. And you don't call me back, I go, not important to Mary. She's got somebody who's bigger and richer and better than I am. She doesn't really like me. Oh, I'm really scared and she's not calling me back. And my friend Charlie told me that... There was a law passed in Omaha yesterday that's gonna really affect the decision that we're gonna do. They've changed all of the rules for taxation on trusts. And she's not calling me back, she doesn't like me. But if I know that I called at three in the afternoon, then I know that you or someone working with her is gonna call her back by noon of the next day. So it's not about me, it's about you. And that's very important because think how often your clients get into, oh, she doesn't like me mode, right? And it happens. You can't help it. You have more than one client.
1: Yep, and I might be in a board meeting for eight hours consecutive where I don't have a chance to return a call. That's a great point. I think one that we could always, and as I'm listening to you, I'm going, oh, I do need to do a better job identifying my rules. I was in New York City last week, and there were a few calls that didn't get returned while I was running around the city. So um, need to do, make sure, you know, we leave these out-of-office messages on our emails. So if it comes in by emails, that's usually easy the phone message is a little harder to change than setting up the email. Well, Carol, I so appreciate all your thoughts on this. And do you have any last thoughts as we come to the end of our episode?
2: Yeah, I think um, the main one is, is that client centricity, like anything about client service, about working with people who don't understand what you do but need you, is about your mindset. Be curious, be respectful, and be courteous. And you will have a huge, huge client base.
1: Thanks so much, Carol. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases.
0: Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenak weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.
2: A Media Production.